Hey there, Groovy Ghoulies. This is Midnight Mass Creature Cast. I'm your host, Chris Davila. Joining me as always is Bobby Blades. What's up, Bobby? Hey, not too much over here. I am ready to get into this movie from my childhood. Another great one. Yes, yes. This is this is my pick. Um, this movie I probably watched once a year, if not twice a year for the last, I don't know, 30 something years or so. Uh, we are discussing Monster Squad from 1987. Yeah, probably uh, if you're going by today's standards, probably the only good movie made by Shane Black and Fred Decker. Um, <laughs> That's because, saying something. Because the, the new Predator film was pretty much a flop. Yes. Yeah, it was. Did you see it? Yeah, I saw it. Yeah, I was pretty disappointed. I was expecting a lot more than what I got. Yeah, especially the end. The ending was absolutely horrible. Yeah, the Iron Man ending, right? Yes, yes, that's what it's called. Which I guess is funny since Shane Black did Iron Man 3, which I actually liked. I liked Iron Man 3, so. Oh, okay. I didn't even know he did that. Yeah, he directed that. Um, You know, it's definitely better than Iron Man 2. It's one of my favorites. I, I like the whole ending with all the Iron Man suits, but I guess he took that over and decided to make that part of the uh, ending of the predators, which is absolutely stupid as hell. Yeah. I mean, going by just how Robert Rodriguez did predators. Yeah. I kind of liked that a lot more and I was hoping it would not go the goofy campy route. And instead we've got um, dick jokes and like a lot of dumb stuff. Yeah. But I, there was a funny well, I guess we're going off track. Off we're tangent, talking about- <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I will say I did like um, I did like Fred Decker's other film, the film before this, um, Night of the Creeps. Oh, actually, I just uh, I got that in my queue to watch nice. once again. I haven't seen that in a while. Yeah, actually, that that's a good one. I mean, he had he had this one two punch from I think personally of this one of that one and then Monster Squad. I mean, he hasn't done much else after that. And uh, Shane Black, um, he's also hit or miss, you know, as well as as you mentioned. So, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, this movie was this movie wasn't a uh, huge success when it came out. It was actually a flop. It only lasted two weeks in the theaters when it came out, and then it was hmm. out. That that's how bad it was. It wasn't until later that it you know it, it garnered the um, fan base that it has now and the cult following. I first saw it in '88 on VHS, and from like that point on, I was I was just hooked. Cause I was at the right age. I was eight years old. I was at the right age for that movie to come out. And I, I'd always had a, a love of, of horror and supernatural and the paranormal from a super young age. And so being an eight-year-old watching this film, I was like, man, I want to do that. I want to get some friends together and I want to go find monsters. You know, I want to be a real monster squad, especially because I know that I knew even back then I knew that the monsters in the movie weren't real life monsters because they were modeled after the universal monsters and they looked very much like that but still just the idea of getting some friends together and going and having a monster squad sounded really cool but i didn't have enough friends to do that so it was like me and my other friend just one friend that i had and we were the monster duo instead which is not as (laughs) not as flamboyant not as much fun you know yeah well it's pretty much the same for me i was a little bit older i think i had watched it for the first time maybe 90 91 either 1990 or 91. I can't remember. Um, Didn't see it in the theaters, but definitely watched it on VHS over my friend's house. And after that, we were out in his grandmother's backyard. We were hunting monsters. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it does to you. Uh, 
who to call when you have ghosts. But who do you call when you have monsters? We're the Monster Squad. What's a squad? It's like Miami Vice, I think. They're young and inexperienced. Naughty virgin. They're a bit disorganized. Monsters are not real. We don't know that, sir. Two thousand year old dead guys do not get up and walk away by themselves. But when strange things start happening in town. There's a monster in my closet. Ooh, look at that big scary monster. What's happening? Do I see a werewolf? Silver bullet? They're the only ones ready to do battle. Something down there is killing people. And if it's monsters, nobody's gonna do a thing about it but us. Soon the creatures of the night shall rule the world. Real monsters? Us? Midnight in the world, remember? By midnight, you they won't seem so young anymore. Monster Squad. Wolfman's gone. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's let's do a quick little rundown on what the movie is about in case people haven't seen it. But I'm I'm sure most people who are listening to this have seen it and and clicked play for that very reason. But um, it's it's basic story is. <clears throat> It's kind of like it's it's garnered a lot of comparisons, of course, to like Goonies, you know, the whole mm-hmm. group of teens go on an adventure and have things happen. So it's uh, five, five kids, uh, I believe. Right. Yes. Yeah, so you got uh, you got Sean, uh, Phoebe, his sister, who's not in the club till later. But then you've got um, Horace, you've got Patrick. Rudy and Eugene. So one, two, three, four. Yeah, basically five and then the sister. Uh, and they have a monster squad where they talk about all things monster. Um, and then there's also a, another another story where Count Dracula, the movie begins with uh, Van Helsing fighting Count Dracula and then being sucked into this, uh, I guess you call it a, um, a portal, I guess. Uh, yeah, I'd say portal. Portal. And uh, then he, they, some, okay, so the, <clears throat> The cool thing, which I guess is kind of cool, but interesting thing is that he gets sucked into the portal, um, but then it cuts to modern day and the kids. But then the next scene is, or I don't know what the next scene, but the next time you see him, there's a plane transporting a bunch of stuff from somewhere and Dracula is in one of the boxes. They don't know it yet, the, the pilots, but he's in one of the boxes. Um, but you don't see you know, the, 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 the timeline from when he zapped into the portal to when he gets into the box, you have no idea what the hell happened. He's just all of a sudden in that box, but he gets loose. All the monsters apparently as well are also in the box somehow, except for the mummy, but all the other monsters are in there and Dracula hijacks a plane and gets, drops all the boxes and they just happen to perfectly land in the same town where Sean and his friends live. Yeah, and they land intact, falling from that height. Yes, in a swamp where the water's maybe 18 inches. 
Yeah. Yeah, but they land perfect. None of the boxes break. None of that shit. I mean, it's just bam, done. <laughs> so so Dracula Dracula proceeds to wake all the monsters. He's looking for this uh this magical amulet um that can uh, what was the what was the amulet doing again? Um uh, oh, I forgot what it was called. That glowy green thing. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's an amulet composed of concentrated good. So I guess by by destroying it, they. Hold on, let me see. Hang on a second. Read this real quick. Uh, oh, okay, okay. All right, start over. Okay. Yeah, so the, this amulet is is composed of concentrated good, and Dracula wants to get it so that he can take control of the world, plunge into darkness. But you can also, uh, if if the good guys get it, they can open a wormhole. Wormhole—that's the word I was looking for. <laughs> wormhole, and send all the monsters and send the evil into limbo. And every century, there's one day. Of course, how it goes. There's one day where the amulet. Uh, is which is otherwise indestructible becomes vulnerable to destruction and that day is coming up i think it's uh and just uh, again perfect serendipitous not only do the monsters land in the same town as sean but uh in another scene that they don't explain his mother went to a garage sale somewhere and picked up a book an old book at a garage sale in german that just so happens to be the diary of dr van helsing Okay, and how does anybody in that family know how to read German? Well, well see, that's the thing. They don't. They, so there's, a, there's this scary German guy who lives down the street that they allude to earlier, who they say is a serial killer and all this stuff because he, he's, he's a recluse. And so they don't talk to him, but they know that he's German because he, he has a German accent. So they end up taking the book to the German guy. And finding out he's actually a really nice guy. He he uh, is a concentration camp survivor, which, by the way, that scene. So in this movie, that's semi sort of it's not really lighthearted. It's 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 1980s kid friendly, which to in today's standard means it's like G or below, because in 1980, I think it was PG when this came out. PG back then meant a whole different thing than it did now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, like this, this was considered like a kid's movie, but it. I think today it would scare the hell out of most kids because it's definitely much more geared towards older kids, maybe adults. Yep. Um, Not only that, but a lot of the things, if they made this movie today, there were a lot of things from the old movie that wouldn't fly today. Yeah. Yeah. There's uses of like certain words, certain uh, slander words. Um, But yeah, so that, that the scene with that guy, when, when they leave his house, you know, they, they say, Hey, you know, you seem to know a lot about monsters and you know he makes a comment and then he closes the door and with without saying anything he closes the door and they show his arm he's got yeah. he's got you know tattoo, a tattoo of numbers indicating that he was a concentration camp survivor but you know being a kid i had no idea what the hell that meant because i, right. I, I hadn't heard about world war ii at that time it wasn't until later that i watched it as an adult i was like holy shit that is dark for a kid's movies to just throw in there the real life horrors of, of World War II and the concentration camps into this, this kid's movie. I was like, that's, that's kind of ballsy. Yeah. And the same thing. When I saw that, I didn't know what it meant at that time. It's like, oh, hey, this guy's got a, some weird tattoo on his arm. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, watching it again, I, it's like, they don't make mention of it. The camera no. just cuts over to his arm and you see it and you're just, 
you're like, wow, okay, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> like just out of nowhere, just totally out of nowhere, random, and they don't bring it up again. It's just yep. a literal one second scene where you realize this man's seen a lot of shit and he knows real monsters. And but then that's it. Then we cut to them getting ready to fight the monster squad or the monsters, whatever. And it's like, yeah. wow, okay, just throw that real life horror dig in there. Uh, but yeah, so the, the monsters, as as we mentioned there, uh, they are not the actual, they are not the actual monsters from the universal lineup, but they're carbon copies because they couldn't, they couldn't get the rights to the universal monsters, uh, look, but you've got the, you've got Dracula, who's very similar to the Count Dracula. You've got the mummy wrapped up all in bandages. You've got who they call the Gill Man, who was the creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah. And, uh. Frankenstein, they just call him Frank. They call him Frank. And another thing I saw was that they, uh, Frankenstein has the bolts, and this one has the bolts in his head, not in his neck, like the Universal does. I guess that's to help also hmm. uh, steer off copyright issues. And then they have who they call just the Wolfman, uh, who was always my favorite character, because I actually thought that wolf mask makeup was actually pretty cool, because it didn't have the long, elongated snout like you see in most werewolf movies. It was kind of flat, but it didn't look stupid. Uh, yeah. It actually looked pretty scary. And it also, I got to say, this movie dares to answer questions that nobody knew we needed to know. Such as, one, does a wolfman have nuts? <laughs> and he does, apparently. In the now famous line, wolfman has nards. Uh, and then two, can a werewolf only be killed by one or two items? You know, silver bullets or whatever. And they answer that because in this movie, there's a fantastic scene towards the end where they're fighting the monsters and they're in a warehouse and the dad shows up, grabs a stick of dynamite, lights it, throws it in the werewolf, werewolf's pants, knocks him yeah. out of a second story window. The werewolf falls out and in a glorious scene, he explodes into a million pieces, which is fantastic. You figure, okay, you know, but he's, he's, he's exploded. So he's got to be dead, but it's not, it wasn't a silver bullet. So you actually see the pieces start to come together and it's all practical. Of course, there's no CGI, but you see the pieces come together and he comes back together. So I never knew I needed that question answered in my head, but now I know if I ever meet a werewolf not to use dynamite. Yeah. Don't, uh, maybe if you cut his head off with a silver sword, that, that might work as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good point. So maybe, okay. I guess maybe if you use dynamite, you need to have some silver shards in there, sort of like, yeah, maybe. you know, um, for, uh, to kind of rip through his skin, but yeah, no, that that's actually a really cool scene. I'm, I'm really glad that they, uh, included that because it was, didn't need to be included, but man, it was such a cool thing to see. Yeah. And I'd say that the lamest death of the a monster on film would be like how um, the creature from the Black Lagoon or Gilman <laughs> ended, like <laughs> the name <laughs> Horus <laughs> uh, with the shotgun, and uh, he takes the hit. And you you would think that all of these monsters would be more resilient than that, you know? Yeah. That. Basic standard weapons wouldn't really apply to supernatural creatures, but apparently some of them do. Yeah, I mean, because you know, you've got you've got you've got the vampire here who has his three vampire women, and you've got the werewolf, um, and all of those take special means. Um, 
they don't mention anything about Frankenstein because he he, he ends up so he ends up actually becoming he's actually a good guy because he ends up befriending the sister uh, Phoebe and ends up being part of the of the monster squad. Um, but like the the other, I would say the other lame death is the damn mummy because the mummy ends up getting just. Oh. They get all that was the kind of funny though. I like that. Yeah, it was funny. Um, but it's like you figure if it's supernatural, even removing all the because what happens is they're 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 being chased and the mummy's on the back of the of the of their car. I think it's a truck actually. Um, and Rudy uses his bow and arrow to tie a piece of the mummy wrap to an arrow shoots it at a tree, and then there's this very funny scene of as the car keeps going, the mummy starts losing layer upon layer of its uh, rap. Which was, um, so is the mummy just a ghost underneath all that rap? Because I was, I had thought of like the invisible man where like you take off the bandages and there's nothing there. Right. When I'm, what I'm thinking of as the mummy, maybe he's a skeleton underneath there, but as the rap was coming off, it wasn't revealing anything at all. No, there was no skeleton, nobody. Right. There should have been something underneath that. The only skeleton part there was, was I think the top of his skull, right? Yeah, I think that was the the skull that fell in the road, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there should have been bo- more bones because because you're right, he's not the invisible man. He's he's an actual flesh and blood creature that was wrapped up. I mean, that's how they do it back. That's how they did it back in the day. They wrapped your whole body up in, in bandages and took out your organs. But yeah, he should have had way more. Not only that, but you would think that if he came to life supernaturally, like his his entire body be supernatural. So like he should be able to reform himself with the bandages using supernatural means like that that yeah that that that's not really i mean that's not really a foreboding especially because he's he's the typical old school universal mummy where he moves very slowly so he's not really much of a threat with those one two punches of 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 moving slowly and being able to be destroyed by just removing all his bandages yeah and i had a thing about that in um let's see in my notes is where uh where the mummy was in that little kid's closet. Yeah. And I think that the, he would have a harder time moving in and out of places because he's so slow, but yet he slips out of the window like a ninja. Yeah. He gets in the house and out of the house and nobody sees him. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think he has very good control over his motor skills. So how hell does he actually climb in and out of the damn window? You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't make, I mean, again, we're, we're nitpicking the hell out of it, but these are, but, but going back, going back to the gill man, you would think that him being a supernatural, uh, fish man, he'd be more, uh, sturdy against just standard shotgun shells. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe but, got some regenerative abilities or something under there, you know? Right. Cause there, there are certain fish I think that actually have that sort of ability. They can regenerate, you know, uh, scales and stuff. And like sharks have endless amounts of teeth. And so, yeah. You think he'd have some sort of, I mean, at the very least, at least he, at least he didn't have like a goldfish's memory where he forgot stuff every 30 seconds, you know? <laughs> that would be kind of funny though. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So then you've got the Wolfman and, and, and the Wolfman has, uh, the standard death where, you know, silver bullet, that's what it is. Um, Dracula ends up not dying. He ends up getting sent to the limbo. So they kill off the mummy, the gill man and the Wolfman, but not Dracula, Frankenstein, or his or Dracula's uh, chicks. They all send them to the uh, to the limbo. But yeah, Didn't I mean, brides get staked though. Oh, that's right, they did because they came after after Rudy, right? Yeah, that's right. They did. They did stake the three brides. Who? Uh, 
again, another, another, and, and I believe the director said there was like a certain amount of movie cut out of this because like, there's like, like the other stuff we mentioned, the, the bride just came out of nowhere. Like the, they, they weren't part of the boxes that fell out of the plane. Um, but the next time you, the next time you see him in, in the house, they've taken over the brides are there and they're already vampires, but they didn't explain where they came from. Were they people in the modern day he transformed or were they, you know, in a different box somewhere that he just uh, went and got, but none of that is revealed. It's just boom. The three women yeah. are there. That's what I was thinking that he kind of, uh, when he arrived in town, maybe he just bit a few, like three ladies and turned them into vampires and they became his brides. Yeah. I think they should have showed that because this movie is only 82 minutes long. So you've got, you've got at least eight minutes worth of footage you can add in there to make it the 90 minutes, you know? So, I mean, you can, you can show a few more things to help sort of, you know, move the, you know, fill in some gaps basically. Yeah. You can just take even five minutes to tie a simple storyline together. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But again, and, and this makes it sound like we don't like it. I, I love the film as it is. Um, I think it's great. I, I love watching it all the time. It makes me laugh in the same spots every time. Cause it's just so mm -hmm. ridiculous. Um, the introduction of Rudy, the uh, older kid who's a tough kid who, again, you don't have any introduction to these people up and up until in before that, like you just, you just see Rudy uh, Horace, the fat kid, he's being bullied and Rudy just shows up out of nowhere on a bike, a bicycle, not a motorcycle, but a bicycle. And everybody just knows that he's Rudy, that he's the coolest kid in town. He's like a tough kid. And he just suddenly befriends Horace, the fat kid. Yeah. Like he saves him from the bullies. And it's funny because the, the scene involves Horace trying to eat a candy bar. The bullies knock it down, step on it and are about to make him make him eat it. And then Rudy shows up and then makes the bully eat it instead, which is fantastic. Growing up, I was like, man, that's that's the coolest thing ever. But then all of a sudden he just wants to be in their monster squad when he looks like he doesn't have any interest in monsters whatsoever. You know, he's a typical cool kid with like the leather jacket and and the rolled up jeans and 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 the slick back hair. And, and it's like he but he wants to be in the monster squad. And not only that, but these kids look like they're all 12 years old. Whereas Rudy looks like he's about 17 or 18. Yeah. He should be riding in a Corvette, maybe <laughs> ACDC or something. Yeah. It's just, uh, I don't know. He does look so much older than the rest of the group. And I was wondering, I'm like, why, you know, it's okay. Okay. So he doesn't like bullying. He's defending this kid, but why are you hanging out with people who are like, eight years younger than you, when, <laughs> you know, just, yeah. it, it, it seemed funny to me looking back at it because when I first saw it, I didn't think about that kind of thing, but looking back at it after I watched it a few weeks ago, it was like, Hmm, you know, it struck me as a little odd. Yeah. It, it's, I mean, it's still kind of odd. I'm looking, looking back at it from a 2020 perspective. I get it. It's a, uh, you know, it's a whole thing where it's, it's, it's supposed to be much more, um, you know, simple and just, you know, innocent that he just, just wants to be friends. But yeah, looking back at it now, it's like, it'd be kind of weird to have an 18 year old hanging mm -hmm. out with a bunch of 12 year olds all the time in, in their tree house where, I mean, they are, yeah, they're again, it's the eighties. So there, there were, you know, playboys up there. So they're doing what kids did back then looking at playboys in their private house. Um, but yeah, but, but no. And then I guess I don't want to say it was his ulterior motive, but he definitely has a particular reason later on for wanting to be in when, when it's revealed that he can spy on one of the kids sister 
yeah. older sister, who's the same age as him, uh, spy on her when she's changing in her bedroom from the treehouse, <laughs> which is a very much a Rudy thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, yeah, so so uh, but no, in the end, he he eventually does want to be in it because he ends up passing a test and, and actually joining the club. But then he ends up being the one to, uh, you know, help them by, by getting the bow and arrow and all this other stuff, getting ready for the monster, for the, uh, the fight, uh, later on at the end. But I mean, it's, it's still a, a rather random, I mean, every, every, I guess every squad back in the day had to have their, their cast of characters. It's, it's like, it's like when you, when you watch or play a fantasy game or a fantasy movie, there's always a, a particular set of squad they have to have you know the wizard they have to have the the fighter the rogue the elf the dwarf they have to have these particular types of um roles and so i guess back in the day you had to have the you know the the smart kid the fat kid the the leader and then you had to have a tough kid in there and so they just wanted the tough kid to be i guess eight years older than everybody else for some reason yeah so Uh, what are some of your favorite scenes from the this film Oh, let's see here. Um, wow. Well, all right. The one that is, uh, the one that comes to me right now is the, that special effect where Dracula's overlooking the town and the lightning hits and like, he, all you see is the skull. Yeah. When the lightning strikes and that's that really cool. Hear the hell out of me. The first time I saw that, I was like, Oh shit. <laughs> Kill everybody. <laughs> um, and it was just, uh, that was one of my favorite parts. And then, uh, of course, when Wolfman gets kicked in the nuts and it's like, Wolfman's got nards. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because that whole scene, like they're, they're in this hallway and he jumps down and in between um, Sean and, and Horace, it's, it's kind of ridiculous as well because like they keep screaming and he, he keeps moving back or looking back and forth between the two. It's like, just kill one of them already. Do I, why are you sitting there looking at him? Just fucking kill one. You know, same with the mummy. It's like the mummy's in the, in the closet. Why does he come out and kill the kid? Why does he then end up leaving afterward? Yeah. I, like I don't know. I never got that. Yeah. I was just like, what was the point of having the little kid say there's a monster in my closet and then having the dad come in and then the mummy sneaks out of the house. Why did you go in the house in the first place? What yeah. were you looking? Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Why did you, how did, how did you get into a house of three people and not kill a scene, not even kill like the cat? If there was a cat, you know, you didn't kill a single thing. You just, you needed a closet apparently to go in and then you, you got out. That makes no sense. Cause he, he was in a, he was actually in a, uh, a museum because there's a scene where the, the Sean's dad is a cop. He ends up taking the call with his partner, um, uh, to go check out the, the museum where the mummy just got up and walked away. <laughs> Yeah. And oh, speaking of uh, his partner. Yes. I mean, his partner was the writing for that was way over the top. I mean, his <sighs> partner did not. He seemed like the most non-serious cop ever. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like the way that he spoke, the the things that he said, it was just it felt like it almost didn't fit in with that movie. Yeah. They, they definitely seemed like they were they were having their own buddy cop movie on the side because Sean's dad was like the super serious straight laced cop. And then his his partner was the goofy nonstop joking cop. But yeah, it, it like they could have made a whole different movie. Just I mean, it, it was like it was like another because oh, which makes sense because uh, Shane Black wrote Lethal Weapon. 
So it's almost it's almost like he was because Lethal Weapon came out in let me see because this came out in eighty seven. I think Lethal Weapon came out about the same time actually. Let's see. Seven. Yeah. Lethal Weapon came out the exact same year. So it's just like he just had a sort of a, a, per, a penchant for writing uh, cop buddy roles. Mm. That was, <clears throat> excuse me, that was strange though, because uh, when thinking of Lethal Weapon, it's, um, <clears throat> wow, okay. okay. It doesn't <laughs> seem like the same style of writing. Whereas this was just beyond over the top, jumping the shark completely. Yeah. And uh, you're, you're thinking about lethal weapon and that was of course serious, but you had Mel Gibson playing the unhinged kind of crazy guy. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it just doesn't seem like the same guy wrote that. No. And, and it came out, it came out after lethal weapon, like a, a few months after. So I wonder if, you know, he, I wonder if there was a lot of stuff that he wanted to put into the Mel Gibson character that he couldn't, but because he was writing also for this movie, which was a much more unrealistic movie, he was able to put that uh, more ridiculousness into the cop character in this one than he did for, for Lethal Weapon, because it was a much more you know, action drama serious film than, than this one obviously is. Yeah. But yeah. Um, going back to what we were talking about earlier about how there are certain things that they, they couldn't do in today's if they made it today or they remade it, which I'd heard at some point they want to do a remake, which just stop with the remakes, please don't do yeah. more remakes. No. Oh yeah. It's a, it's a cancel remake. Thank God it was a cancel remake. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like I said, there, there's a, you know, there's a, the F word is dropped by, I don't mean fuck. I mean a different F word. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I had the same thing in my notes. I was like the F word and I'm not talking about fuck. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's a, a, a homophobic slur that's used in the movie because in the eighties, the first 10 minutes of yeah. the movie. Oh yeah. Yeah. He says it a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then there's another film, another, uh, um, I mean, there's, there's, there's 12 year olds going around with shotguns and bows and arrows. Mm -hmm. And then there's the scene where, you know, towards the end when, when they decide, which, okay. Okay. Another thing that I want to bring up before I go into that was one thing that did frustrate me, which it, I think it was just a typical story thing back in you know the eighties, whatever it was that they needed, they needed a, a uh, virgin to read this particular verse in German while holding the amulet in order to send the monsters back. Mm -hmm. the, bo the book says it needs a virgin. What it doesn't say is that it needs a female virgin, but none of the genius kids in that group think that. They just think virgin, female, not just virgin anybody. Because they're all obviously virgins because they're 12 years old. And I mean, hell, Rudy might even be a damn virgin, you know? But... The first thing I try to do is, is get Sean's older sister to do it, but she's kind of a virgin later on. It's revealed and that doesn't work. <laughs> There's no such thing as kind. Of. <laughs> it doesn't count, she says, but yeah, it definitely counts. And then they, so then they go to his sister who's like, I don't know, five um, because she's a female. But I'm like, dude, you, you've got four virgins right there who are 12 years old. Y'all have not had sex yet. You want to y'all read the damn thing. Yeah. You know, but you know, I didn't think of that, but now you're right. It's like, it doesn't specify that it has to be a female. No. And what really got me thinking about that, this is off topic and, and ridiculous was that my wife and I, every year we watch uh, Hocus Pocus for Halloween. And in that movie, 
you know, there, there's a, uh, a black flame candle that brings back the three sisters. It has to be lit by a virgin and it's lit by the lead character. Who's like a 15 year old boy. Cause he's a virgin. He lights it and he brings him back. So, you know, he's a virgin, but he's a boy, but it still works. So it's like, yeah, any, any virgin can work. It's not just a boy it has to, or just a girl, anything can work, but they decide to make the little girl read the, read the, uh, the script. And as she's reading it, Dracula walks up to her slowly, of course, cause all the, all the vampires in this film walk up slowly, like, like the mummy. And as he does it, he, he grabs the girl by the chin, lifts her up, and then says, give it to me, you bitch. Basically calling this little girl a bitch to her face in the thing. And I'm like, okay, they that they probably wouldn't do that if they remade the uh, film today. I forgot about that part, but they definitely would leave that part out. Yeah. Yeah. Again, this is this is very much an 80s type of thing. I mean, even, even thinking back to like... Um, Goonies. There are probably some things that they would leave out of Goonies if they remade it today, which are essential to the movie, you know? Yeah. I hope they never remake any of those 80s films. No. I mean, they are what they are, and they're for people around our age to enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> not to not to be remade so that they can be palatable for this newer generation, Who's because I, like I'm it? sure the newer generation doesn't really give a damn. No, they, you're right. They don't because perfect example, they, they read Robocop. Robocop from the night from the eighties was a, a R rated blood fest, cuss fest, nudity mm -hmm. fest, but the story was really good. The acting was good. And, the, and you know, it's Paul Verhoeven who just, he has a certain niche he does and his movies just are really great, you know, and, and uh, then they remade it into a damn PG-13 crap fest. Yeah. And see, I'm glad I didn't see it. I remember the first RoboCop and the second one. Um, after that, it kind of fell off. But mm -hmm. the first one, it was uh, more like a, a Peter Jackson early movie with lots of melty skin and yeah. people being in the face and all kinds of craziness. Yeah. I mean, and again, going back to our, our, our discussion about how they, they would change things when they remake things in the first RoboCop, you know, the, the, the main character, uh, uh it's not Murtal, that's the weapon. Uh, and Murphy's his partner. I can't remember his name, but, um, you know, he's created when the, the gang of bad guys shoot all of his body limbs off of him. They basically shoot his legs yeah. off, blast it with shotguns. They, they blast him in the chest. They, they blow his hand off and it's shown in great gory detail. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, they, they shoot him until he's just, just a stump basically, but then they bring him in and, and that, that scene as a kid scared the hell out of me, of course, because that was just, it was totally terrifying as a kid to watch. I, I watched movies I probably shouldn't have watched, but that was terrifying as a kid. Huh? That was crazy. That was uh, seriously disturbing. Like when I watched that for the first time, I mean, that bothered me. It gave me nightmares. Yeah, it was it was terrifying. That one and the other one gave me nightmares was when that that one guy was covered in acid and he got exploded by the oh, car. The, the melty face guy. Yeah, that scarred me for so many years afterward, because I thought if I even got the little littlest bit of acid on me, my whole body would be vulnerable to be exploded like that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I thought the same thing. Uh, I stayed far away from battery acid. <laughs> so it's like, nope, not not gonna not gonna help work on cars today. No. Got to stay away from the battery acid. <laughs> but yeah, but but then when they remade the RoboCop, the, the they simplified his his 
you know, his uh, incident to just a car bomb. He, he, you know, he went to go check on his car and then someone put a bomb in it. When he went to go check on it, the car exploded. And, and that's how he ended up being damaged and, you know, uh, made into a Robocop. That's, that's, a, that's a very lame, very simplistic, stupid mm-hmm. change that they didn't need to make because, you know, to me, the, the other, the other one had much more of, of like a, a depth behind it because he really, really got messed up just doing his job. He was like his first or second day transferred there. And, you know, he, he wanted to get not so much revenge, but he wanted to continue doing what he was doing. But this one is just, Oh, just a car bomb because he was looking into something too closely. Yeah. Do. But yeah, but because also because it's PG 13, they couldn't show all that stuff they showed before. And I guess the writers didn't think that today's audiences would appreciate a scene like that when, you know, it's a, it's a classic for a reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's why I hope they don't remake monster squad lost boys or any of the other stuff from the eighties really, because it's not going to do any favors to the people like you and I who enjoyed these films. No. And then normally to me, I I believe if you want to remake something, it's because you want to improve upon it. You want to maybe redo it with a sort of different spin, but don't dilute it by, if you, if you take something that's uh, rated R from the eighties and nineties, don't make it PG 13 to get more people to watch it. You know, people are going to, people are going to watch it eventually anyway, but you just, you're, 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 doing a disservice remaking these damn movies and basically taking out everything from the original that made it great just to serve today's uh, audience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, you got anything else in your notes, man? Uh, yeah. I just uh, I wondered, like when you were 12 years old, were you let out at night to go explore dilapidated homes looking for monsters? No, I was not. No. <laughs> I know I wasn't. I mean, when the streetlights came on, we, I had to be in the house. Yeah. Um, and so especially uh, in shop class in junior high, man, our shop teachers, I mean, I know one kid got in trouble for making a bong. Um, That's great. But we were never able to make wooden stakes or silver bullets in our shop classes. <laughs> <laughs> That's another thing that I thought was pretty cool about where these kids lived. I mean, they're just over there in wood shop making stakes and in metal shop making silver bullets. And where do they get the silver? Yeah. Like, I mean, there's so many like the parents, again, this one of the films where like, you know, since it's all from the kid's perspective, the parents are pretty much just not, or the adults are non-existent or just, you know, off screen or whatever. But yeah, no, I, in, in, when I, in the shop class I took, everything was very meticulously done and watched over because it's, it's a huge liability using, letting middle schoolers use sharpened instruments. (laughs) There's a lot that can come from that. And so you weren't allowed to make anything other than what we were specifically designed to make. And everything was like basic, simple, you know, birdhouse clocks, that kind of stuff, not wooden stakes or any of that shit. No, no weapons, Mm -hmm. nothing that could poke eyes out, any of that thing. No, no. (laughs) What, What else you got, bud? Um, and, uh, when they opened the portal to limbo, I got some vibes from, uh, evil dead Two. When uh, that whole swirling oh, thing yeah. was going on, and I was like, "Hey, man, that reminds me of the portal that Ash got sucked into, which led to, of course, Army of Darkness." Yeah, and it might have been just the effects of that. No, it, uh, it looked very similar to it. Yeah, yeah. 
And yeah. so like that was cool. And also I love the fact that the creatures were created by Stan Winston. Yes. One of my favorites. Yeah. And you, which is, which is why the creatures look so good. The gill man, the, the werewolf, you know, they, yeah. they, they're different. They, they're different takes on established monster or movie monsters, but they still look really, really good. And all the articulation is there and it's really fantastic. Yeah. You're going to say, man, it's, uh, before CGI came out, the practical effects, they really gave these guys the job. Mm-hmm. Like the, the practical effects workers, if they wanted to make a good film, make it look realistic, they knew how to use lighting. They knew how to, you know, the proper times to use practical effects and everything just came out really good. Yeah. Yeah, I really did. It was, it was very well done for, for a movie that was, you know, probably not really believed in from the studio and um, just made because of, uh, you know, Shane Black's success with like working on the Predator and helping Fred Decker with, um, you know, uh, Night of the Night of the uh, Creeps, you know. And so um, but yeah, no, they did a fantastic job. I mean, back in that back in those days, you know, it probably. Actually, I forgot I was going to say skip that part. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, anything else you want to talk about? Um, no, I think that's it for, uh, every, all the notes that I had there. Okay. Uh, I did see that, uh, in 2008, the, uh, remake or in 2010, the remake was announced, um, through Michael Bay's platinum dunes. Uh, Oh goodness. Yeah. Michael Bay. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a stinker in the making right there. Yeah. But uh, uh, thankfully the announcement of the remake and the involvement of platinum dooms was not met with much positive reaction from fans of the original, which Thank God. And in 2014, they announced that it was no longer happening. That's good. I'm very glad for that. Absolutely. Do not do not mess with something like that, because like it's different from like Goonies, whereas Goonies was such a huge hit and a cult classic that, you know, whether or not fans like it or not, if they want to make a remake, they will. They'll just do it anyway because of how much of of a success it was. Yeah. Uh, whereas this one wasn't a success when it came out, it just later on got that large cult following. And so the fans are really, really, really hardcore about it. Yeah. It's kind of like a uh, Buffy. Now I heard, I was very, very disheartened and crestfallen when I heard the announcement that Buffy was going to get a remake. And I'm a huge fan of Buffy, the vampire slayer, the, both the movie and the television series. Okay. And I heard they were going to redo the television series. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking, no, please don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to kill everything that I loved about the series. I mean that I'll give Joss Whedon and his team all the credit for that TV series because it was witty. It was fun. It didn't take itself too seriously. It was just an all around good time. And when I heard they were going to remake it, I'm like, mm, I hope it fails because yeah. I don't want to see the remake. No, they, there's, you just, you need to stop with all this remake crap. There's, there's gotta be more, more books, more, you know, more books, more comics, more other things they can, they can take source material from stop remaking stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Just don't do it. No. And I actually really enjoy the first, the original Buffy movie. Cause I mean, I, I love Paul Rubens as a vampire. That's it's fantastic. Oh, you know, yeah, he was great, man. Yeah. He's really, really good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, so I'm glad that they're, they squashed that rumor. Cause, cause you know, because it, 
going to the Ghostbusters remake, you know, they, Oh boy. <laughs> I mean, now, now in this, in, in this day and age, when you talk about Ghostbusters, you have to differentiate which one it is, you know, is it the Ghostbusters original or the Ghostbusters remake? And nobody's going to be talking about the remake because it, to me, it just wasn't funny. Um, not in the way that the first one was funny. So mm-hmm. now when I talk about Ghostbusters, I have to, I have to make sure I let people know I'm talking about the original, not the remake. So that's what happens when, when you make these films, when you remake them and they suck, you didn't have to spend time, you know, referencing the original when there shouldn't be an original it should be just the only. Yeah. So, but I can't really say much about the Ghostbusters remake. I only saw maybe 25 minutes of it. Mm. Yeah, it was, it was pretty painful. And, and I watched it with my wife, uh, who's also a fan of the first one. And so we actually watched them back to back. We watched the first one and then we watched the remake. Uh, Cause we actually ended up getting it free. We did some deal where like, we got it like five movies free and that was one of them. I would never have bought it with my own money. And um, we watched it back to back and we both, the first thing we thought was that all the comedy in this remake is, is so forced. Whereas in the original, it came from like, it was more genuine. It came from the, the actors and it came from the script genuinely and it flowed genuinely. And, and whereas the, the other one seemed more like just a super long SNL skit. Yeah. Yeah. So we were, we were both very disappointed and just don't even like, I, I've tried multiple times to remove it from my digital library and I just can't seem to do it. It just stares me in the face, haunting me whenever I go through my library. You shall not pass. (laughs) Yeah, I will keep going. (laughs) What do you say we get into some trivia for this movie? Huh? Yeah, let's do that. All right. So I'll go take the first one if you don't mind. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. The scene where Dracula lifts Phoebe up and she screams was done in one take. Duncan Rogier, I think it's his name, wouldn't wear his red contacts or fangs around the five-year-old Ashley Bank because it scared her too much. For the scene, director Fred Decker just told Ashley to scream once the platform raised her. When she asked when, Decker told her, oh, you'll know, and then proceeded to shoot. The terrified scream you hear when Dracula opens his eyes is Ashley's genuine scream of fright. That's oh, awesome. wow. Wow. You, yeah, that's awesome. So she was scared not by him, but by the platform that was raised. No, she was scared because uh, in that scene, he actually had his red contacts and fangs in, but he had his eyes closed um, when they raised her up. And then that scene, when it cuts back to him, and he hisses, he opens his eyes and his mouth. And that was the first time she'd seen him with his red contacts oh, and fangs. Okay. I read that as just like he was not in his makeup. And then she was afraid because the platform was raised up. No. Yeah. The, the makeup scared the hell out of her. <laughs> <laughs> wow. No, nothing like going for the genuine terror there. Yeah, absolutely. It's like from Die Hard when they, when they dropped Alan Rickman, you know, they, that, that, that look of terrified, look, that terrified look on his face is genuine. Because they told him they were going to drop him on the count of three and they dropped him on two before he was ready for it. So that look of terror of of terror is genuine on him because because of that. It's an 80s thing to do, you know? Yeah. Wow. Okay. It's like, you son of a bitch. You said three. (laughs) (laughs) Go on one. Yeah. All right, moving on. According to director Fred Decker, Shane Black's first draft of the screenplay was so huge that the opening of the film featured Van Helsing accompanied by Zeppelins and hundreds of men on horseback storming Dracula's castle. Decker stated that this sequence would have cost more than the final budget of the film. Wow. 
Wow. Zeppelins, man. Zeppelins. That's, that's pretty epic, man. That is an epic opening right there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Liam Neeson was paid for a bit part that was never shot. Hmm. I wonder if he was taken. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I will find you and I will kill you. I don't know where you are, Dracula, but I will find you. <laughs> Near the start of the movie, the plane where Dracula first appears has Browning written on the side. This is a nod to director Todd Browning, who directed Dracula in 1931. Very cool. The Wolfman's face was modeled after that of Stan Winston. I did not know that. That's pretty neat. Oh, wow. I didn't even know that. It kind of looked like a pumpkin head thing, though. Yeah, kind of did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Kind of like a, like a slope type of thing. Mm -hmm. According to Fred Decker, the film was cut by 13 minutes because some executives didn't want it to run more than 90 minutes. Well, there you go. Those bastards. Yeah, we could have had 13 minutes more of stories tying together. Which probably explains all the random just stuff that we were talking about earlier, where all of a sudden it's just there, you know? Yeah, like the wives and other stuff that's And how he got on. from being in, in the olden times to being on the plane, all that stuff that we were talking about, yeah. Actor Brent Chalum, who played Horace, fat kid, died tragically of pneumonia in 1997. Oh, that sucks, man. That does suck, man. That's so sad. So the movie was made in 87 and he died in 97. 10 years later. Yeah. Damn. I know. Rest in peace, fat kid. Yeah. RIP fat kid. His name is Horace. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in 2006, Wizard Magazine made a list of the 100 greatest villains of all time. Dracula was ranked as number 30 on the list, but surprisingly, it was for Duncan Regger's performance in this film. <laughs> His performance was chosen over all the other versions of the character. Regger's Dracula is still considered to be one of the absolute best interpretations of the character. Man, that's some serious chops right there. That's cool. I can see that because in the movie, he, I, it's like I wanted to hate the guy. He was a total dick. Yeah, yeah. And I think also what I also enjoyed was that they, since it was, it wasn't actually the the film Dracula or the, the novel Dracula, they cut all that stupid love story bit with uh, him and Mina Harker. So it was just, it was just Dracula being an evil asshole, which I loved. Yeah. Just him killing and like doing what he wants to do. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Loved it. Andre Gower and Ro Robbie uh, Kiger were best friends in real life before filming Gower campaigned to the producers to hire Kiger or Kiger, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, uh, in the best friend role of Patrick. Hmm, neat. Now, which one um, Which one was which? Because one of the guys looked like a young Stephen Dorff from The Gate. So, yeah. So, a Andre Gower was Sean, the main kid. Okay. Yeah. And then Patrick was the kid that uh, had the mummy in his closet. Oh, all right. Speaking of that kid and things that they wouldn't do nowadays, did you notice that throughout most of the film, that kid, not most of the film, but throughout certain certain parts of that film, that kid wore a Confederate Civil War hat? Hmm. Can't say that I recall that. No. When you go back to watch it, there's I know in, in I know off the top of my head, there's a scene where he's writing that letter to the army to come help them with the monsters. And in that scene, when he's writing the letter, go go look at it. He's wearing a Confederate Civil War hat. <laughs> yeah oh wow okay i'm yeah. gonna check that out oops yeah i don't know who, whose idea it was to put that on him but uh yeah bad move wow mm -hmm. 
Okay, Ashley Bank turned down a role in Fatal Attraction to play Phoebe. Oh, wow. Okay. Huh. Uh, there are at least two versions of Michael Sambello's end credit song. In some versions, dating back to VHS release days, there is a lyric referring to, quote, the gill man swimming in the pool, end quote. As of 2007, the most recent HD cable release, this is replaced simply by the creature from the Black Lagoon. All right. Hmm. I guess they were able to I use that name. I didn't listen to that song, so. I'm no. Gonna have to yeah, I'm going to check it out, too. <clears throat> the brief scene where Frankenstein meets Phoebe playing in the water is a clear homage to similar yet more tragic scene in the original Frankenstein. The way in which the scene plays out in this film is, according to previous interviews, more in line with the way Boris Karloff wanted to do the scene in the 1931 original. Wow, cool. Yeah. It's a lot of good trivia in this movie. I know, right? Oh, here's another one. Dustin Diamond, Screech, had a small role as a kid who tries to trade baseball cards with the boys, but that was later cut. <laughs> I remember that name, Dustin Diamond. <laughs> yeah, old Screech himself. Oh, wow. <clears throat> During the montage with the Monster Squad getting ready to stop Dracula, Sean points at where Shadowbrook Road is on the map to show his friend Patrick where the mansion Dracula is hiding out is. On the other side of the map, it says Cheney College as a location. This is an homage to actor Lon Cheney Jr., who played Lawrence Larry Talbot in Universal's The Wolfman. Love it. Cool, cool. I knew as soon as Cheney came up, I was like, ah, oh, they're going to talk about Lon Cheney. Of course. Yeah. Mary Ellen Trainer, who played the mother of the lead siblings, also plays the mother of lead siblings' children in The Goonies. Ah, there's the Goonies connection. There you go. Yep. <laughs> Uh, due to licensing issues, the crew had to create characters that were suggestive, but not exact copies of Universal's iconic monsters. The challenge was to suggest those classic creatures without really copying them, explained Shane Mahan, because we didn't have permission or the license to use those images. So we could do a Gilman, for example, but it couldn't look too much like the creature from the Black Lagoon. It was frustrating for us at first because, of course, we wanted to do the original designs, but we couldn't. We could only suggest those designs, so the Frankenstein monster looks a bit like the Karloff creature, but instead of the bolts in the neck, he has the bolts in the forehead. There was a certain percentage of changes we had to make to get away from any legal copyright infringement. I think they did a great job. You know, yeah. I think the creatures are, are iconic enough to know who they are. But with the, the changes not be, the changes are subtle enough that they don't take away from the monster themselves. Yeah, there's no gimmick infringement going on there. No, no. This movie came out six months after another movie written by Shane Black, Lethal Weapon, as we mentioned earlier. Yes. The noise the rats supposedly make during the opening scene is actually from guinea pigs. The rats seen in this same opening shot are actually armadillos. Armadillos? What the hell? I don't remember rats. I don't remember where, either. Where were the rats? In the opening scene. I gotta go back and watch it now. Yeah, I'm gonna have to check that out. I'm guessing it they was were in... actually armadillos? Yeah. That's crazy. Now, now I gotta go look and I gotta actually like, I, I've got it on Blu-ray, so I'm gonna go uh, pop it in and really kind of zoom in on that section just trying to find some damn armadillos. <laughs> just painted armadillos, man. <laughs> that's, that's, you gotta save money somehow, you know? Yeah. <laughs> There is a poster for the return of living dead 1985 visible on the wall of the clubhouse. 
There is also, <clears throat> excuse me, wow. There is a poster of the Lucio Fulci film Zombie, 1979, visible in the background of the clubhouse. Nice. Has the same, has the same, oh, <clears throat> has the same dead guys do not get up and walk around by themselves line, followed by a shot of a dead guy walking down the street as in Night of the Creeps, 1986, also written and directed by Fred Decker. Uh, yes, another... <clears throat> wow <laughs> night of the creeps man that was on my list for something that we've got to do down the road absolutely i love that damn movie yeah your dates are here the bad news is they're dead <laughs> <laughs> um despite multiple references from characters about the 40s the original universal monster films all came out in the 30s browning's dracula was early 1931 Wales Frankenstein was late 1931, Frunz Mummy was 1932, and Walker's original werewolf film, Werewolf of London, was 1935. Admittedly, though, the 1941 The Wolfman with Lon Chaney Jr. is the more popular version. Arnold's Creature from the Black Lagoon was much later, released in 1954. Truly, the only real 1940s monster referenced in the film is done so in passing. The teacher, Cathead, is a clear reference to the 1942 Cat People. Oh, even, even oh, yeah, stuck in the... Yeah, even stuck in the Cat People film. That's cool. <laughs> wow. Yeah. There's, a, there's a lot of nods to the old school here. Oh, yeah. I'm loving it. The picture that Frankenstein's monster takes of Patrick's sister undressing in front of the window is actually of a blonde girl in a black t-shirt. I don't know if that's really a trivia we needed, but thanks for including it in there. Yeah, it's a, okay. <laughs> I don't actually get why that. <laughs> why that matters. Yeah, who cares? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the movie is not a based on, okay, this is written very, yeah, very poorly. Very weird. The movie is not based on or is a remake of the Monster Squad 1976. The short-lived show was about wax figures of three monsters that come to life to battle evil. I didn't even know that existed. Uh, I need to find that and watch that now. That sounds amazing. <laughs> that sounds super cool. Wax figures. Oh, that sounds cool. Frankenstein. Wow. Yeah. Frankenstein's monster was brought to life by Winston's crew under the supervision of SWS supervisor Tom Woodruff Jr., Fellow SWS supervisors Sean Mahan and John Rosengrant led the Mummy and Wolfman builds, respectively. Gilman's suit was primarily overseen by Matt Rose and Steve Wang, while Count Dracula's makeup was applied on set by frequent Winston collaborator Zoltan Ellick, great name, and SWS supervisor Alec Guinness, who uh, took care of the Bat to, Tr Bat to Dracula transformations. From Stan's design, said Tom Woodruff Jr., a number of us started doing sculptures. Stan let me do the Frankenstein's monster prosthetic makeup. By then, he was very hands-on when it came to designing things. He was also very involved in getting performances on the set, but it, was, but it was unusual for him to actually sculpt or paint things. I remember working on my Frankenstein makeup one day and Stan coming into the makeup room to check it out. I said to him, I'd love it if you could paint a set of these and give me some ideas. And he seemed generally touched that I wanted him to be hands-on involved and led the way for me. So one afternoon, he sat me down and Stan and I painted appliances all afternoon, just talking about life and having a great time. I was so happy to be sitting there painting makeup appliances with Stan Winston. <laughs> yeah, Stan sounds like a cool dude, man. Yeah, he sounds like a super cool guy. R.I.P. 
Oh, he died? Yeah, isn't Winston, didn't Winston pass? He passed away a while ago, I think. Oh, if he did, I didn't hear anything about it. Yeah, I think I remember hearing it. Uh, let me see. Yeah, he died in 2008. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Rest in peace, man. The guy's a legend. Yeah, he really is, man. Just some of the greatest monsters on screen came from this man. Yeah. In addition to sculpting the Frankenstein's monster makeup, Tom Woodruff Jr. played the role of Gilman. It was his debut as a suit performer, a skill he has perfected in 20 years since, performing in creature suits for dozens of films. On my own time, Tom said, I had the guys do a body cast of me because I planned on building my own personal gorilla suit, which was something I'd always wanted to do. So this body cast was just sitting there in the shop, and then the monster squad came up, and the part of Gilman hadn't been cast. I distinctly remember sitting in Stan's shop, pointing to that body cast that was there and ready to go and saying, Stan, I can do this. Let me play the Gilman. I really pitched myself, which wasn't and still isn't something I'm comfortable doing, but he considered and let me do it. The other guys started building that Gilman creature suit over my life cast, and I got to play that character in the Monster Squad. <laughs> Holy crap. That must have been a lot of fun. Yeah. And that's so cool. I, uh, and that Gilman suit was really good. It was a really good yeah, suit. That, that was a cool looking monster right there. Yeah, it really was. Probably one of the more detailed of, of any of them, really. Yeah. Seth Green screen tested for a role and even read with Andre Gower, who was cast as Sean, and the two became good friends. Oh, okay. I was thinking Seth Green was in there. I didn't see him, but okay. Yeah, yeah he screen tested. Yeah, he just he just screen tested for it. Okay, Jason Hervey wears a Walter Payton shirt in this movie while his on-screen brother from the Wonder Years, Fred Savage, wears a Walter Payton jersey in Princess Bride. That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> this film is said to be a blatant ripoff of a more well-known kid horror action. Or, <clears throat> this film is said to be a blatant ripoff of the more well-known kid horror adventure film, The Goonies. Eventually, the film gained cult status and popularity. I wouldn't call Goonies a horror film. No, I wouldn't even say that this was a ripoff. No, no, it's it's a it, Goonies is an action adventure, not a horror adventure. Yeah, there's I don't. Uh, okay, that the only creature which is not really a creature in Goonies is that uh, deformed guy, right? Yeah, sloth. But that's yeah, that's yeah. I mean, that's I mean, I, I can I can see how maybe because sloth it started off as like a villain, but then uh, ended up joining the Goonies and became friends with, uh, with fat kid. Um, hmm. whereas the Frankenstein did the same thing, but it's two totally different, like, you know, storylines. Yeah. I wouldn't call that a ripoff. No, not at all. I'd say maybe it was probably inspired by, or I think that's, I think that's a better way to say it. I mean, but then again, it's, it's just another, you know, like I said, teen group movie just with outrageous, you know, scenarios. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. When they have, when they have to read German incantations out of a book, sometimes the, the context of this is, it really gets me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. When they have to read German incantations out of a book, Patrick's sister, who is an adult, had, has bad German pronunciation. For example, mispronouncing the German word we, which phonetically sounds as vi, but little Phoebe, who is only five years old, has perfect German pronunciation. Again, another trivia that we probably didn't need, but thanks for yeah. including in there. Don't get it. Yeah, didn't in any way enhance my love of the film. No. 
Horace's comic book that EJ tears in half is Wonder Woman number three, dated in April 1987, titled Deadly Arrival. Plotted and penciled by George Perez with script by Len, Len Wine. The comic follows the Crisis on Infinite Earths reboot of the DC Universe in which DC began renumbering their comics from number one so as to introduce new readers to their characters through updated origin stories. Collect collectors refer to the comic as Wonder Woman number Collectors refer to the comic as Wonder Woman Volume 2, Number 3, even though the issue's credits and copyright page make no reference to the volume number. Again, something that we just didn't really need to know, but I think. Yeah, I think, I think we're getting near the bottom of the barrel it's here. With, uh, it certainly uh, sounds like it. <laughs> it does. Oh, one of the techni technological improvements devised for Monster Squad was a cable controller that could easily um, that could be operated by fewer puppeteers. Back in those early days, commented SWS creature mechanic Richard Landon, those of us in the mechanical department were exploring the whole new science of how to build this stuff, including cable controls. There had been cable-controlled puppets going all the way back to the giant squid in 20,000 leagues under the sea. We were trying to come up with much more sophisticated controllers. When I first started working for Stan, he'd been testing some new controllers, including one with 10 level levers that made 10 fingers move individually. Oh, wow. That meant that 10 people were required to move two hands. For Monster Squad, I built a skeleton hand with a controller that moved all 10 fingers, so a single operator could control 10 cables at once to make the fingers flex. Going from 10 to 1 was the kind of stuff we were doing in those days to improve the technology. It usually came down to necessity. Something would come up where we had to do it, and so we did. Wow, very neat. Holy crap. Yeah, I did I didn't know that like it took 10 people just to move like one individual finger. That's insane. Yeah, that's so cool. And then he was man, that's that is genius. Yeah. That's pretty good. The armadillos glimpsed in Dracula's castle at the very beginning are a reference to Dracula 1931, where they are shown crawling about while Bella Lugosi gave Dwight Fry a tour of his castle. Armadillos are in Armadillos are indigenous to the Americas, and while their appearance in the Transylvanian... Trans, oh my gosh. Try again. Three, two, one. Let me get some water. Here we go. Okay. <clears throat> Armadillos are indigenous to the Americas, and while their appearance in a Transylvanian castle was seen as a goof in an earlier film, they are obviously meant as an homage here. Correction. The armadillos in the 1931 film Dracula were seen as Count Dracula first emerges from his coffin during the opening scene, not during Dwight Fry's entrance to the castle. Aha. Uh -huh. mm, interesting. So there is a reason that armadillos are made to look like rats. Yeah. And I wonder if they're supposed to actually be armadillos and not just rats. And again, I'm going to go back and figure out what the hell's going on with this. Yeah. I'm going to check that out too, because I want to see that. Yeah. Um, and of course, this one's a given. The creature from the Black Lagoon is never mentioned by the name. I mean, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the creature from the Black Lagoon is never mentioned by name by the characters. Even the credits refer to it as Gilman. And we spoke about this earlier. Yeah, except apparently when they change the lyric of the song, and, and instead of saying Gilman, it says creature from the Black Lagoon, which is just odd. Yeah, and I'm going to have to listen for that now because I don't even remember the song. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, it was, I think it was like a rap song actually at the end of the movie. Hmm. Yeah. So, all right, guys, that's the, so that is our take on Monster Squad. Uh, great movie, a lot of fun. 
definitely a cult classic. And it's one of those you can watch year after year and still just thoroughly enjoy. Yeah, it's like uh, the the Christmas story that they play every year around Christmas. You'll shoot your eye out. I mean, it, it just never gets old. Mm-mm. Yeah, it's it's a great, great Halloween film. It's a great film to watch any time of year, but it definitely fits in with Halloween and the theme and costumes and monsters and that whole thing. So definitely check it out. In the meantime, you can find us uh, on Facebook and Twitter. Oh, we have a Twitter? Oh, yeah. Are we gonna, oh, we're not doing Twitter yet. That's right. Never mind. Oh, well, I know we do have a Facebook, but yeah. uh, we don't have any other any other social media yet. Okay, so we're just on Facebook then. At uh, what's the uh, handle on Facebook? Oh boy, I don't know. I think you might just look up MMCC Pod, or maybe just search Midnight Mass Creature Cast, and that'll probably take you right to the page. I'm sure we're the only one out there with that name, so yeah, you should be able to find it real easily. Yeah. Yeah. And if you have any uh, movie suggestions or anything you want to uh, want us to check out, you can email us at mmccpod at gmail.com. Um, if you uh, want to uh, give us your review of a movie, you, you can do it on the Facebook page as well, or you can email it to us as well. Um, and just, you know, let us know what you guys think of these movies. Uh, let us know how they affected you in your childhood. If they scared the hell out of you, if they were just completely nostalgic or whatever, but we'd love to hear from you guys. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, man. Well, this was, uh, as always, a lot of fun. And I believe our next movie is Big Trouble Little China, right? Ah, yes, that's right. Yes. I was going to say The Gate, but then I remembered we were uh, doing opposites. That's so. right. Because th- th- that's your pick. Next one is your pick, Big Big Trouble Little China, which, again, another classic from the 80s. Just can't help but love that they, <laughs> if they try to remake, they would just screw the hell up nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. It's- it's, it can't be done. No. I mean, unless it was done by the original directors with the original cast and they somehow found a way to access the fountain of youth, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> so basically leave it as it is with the original. Yep. Just don't touch it. Don't touch it. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that movie or that review because that that's a great movie. Yeah. And I'm also looking forward to The Gate, man. Yeah. That's a movie I haven't seen since I was a kid and I definitely want to revisit that. Yeah, one of my favorites when it comes to stop motion animation because those little guys are just so freaking cool. Yeah, they scared the crap out of me. Oh yeah, they scared that they one. Bomb. That one, and then the, the the guy that comes out of the wall. Yeah, scared the shit out of me as a kid. And I always thought someone was gonna do that. Again, being a kid, I was stupid and susceptible to everything. But yeah, and in my old home, we used to have like the walls. Uh, I would hear scratching in the walls. It was probably mice. But after watching that movie, I was afraid to go to sleep thinking that I'm come out of the wall. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I would have shit my bed, dude. <laughs> if somebody came out of the wall and, oh. Yeah. Forget it. Forget it. Just, uh, I'd be dead. Game over, dude. Yeah, game <laughs> over. Yeah. All right, bud. Well, then I look forward to talking to you next time about Big Trouble Little China. And I hope you guys all have a good, good day, good week. And uh, we'll see you then. Yeah. Stay spooky.